In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the November 20th episode, and as always, we remain dedicated to answering all of your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Today, we welcome in the brilliant Kevin Cole from PFF. Kevin is a PFF data scientist and host of a great podcast, new podcast, Unexpected Points. Fantastic pod. Please check it out. He's well known across the fantasy community for insight into interpreting data and separating the noise from the actionable numbers. He was previously at Roto Grinders, director of data and analytics, one of the best in the business. Please follow him on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Kevin, a true honor to have you on the mailbag here. Thanks so much for coming aboard. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully you didn't didn't oversell too much in that in that intro. I'll try to live up to it. I've followed your stuff for years. Just a fantastic job. And the Unexpected Points podcast just started is really great. I heard you recently with Ben Baldwin of The Athletic. You guys were talking about good stats versus bad stats, you know, the noise versus the actionable data. It was really great stuff. What are some of those bad stats that you think maybe the average fantasy football player sort of relies on too much that can be misleading when you're analyzing players? Yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to efficiency and volume. I think I think most people are pretty adept at being able to parse that out nowadays. I mean, that's something that's really changed, I would say, over the last few years and even further back, if you're going five, six, seven years, is, is being able to figure out what is stable and what is not. So, for instance, for, you know, looking at how many carries is someone getting, where is the location of those carries as opposed to just focusing on the results, focusing on the touchdowns, focusing on the more uh, like the more the more variance that's in certain things. So I would say a few things that I see that never end to kind of tilt me a little bit, although I don't see it as much as I used to. Things like fantasy points per touch, uh, anything per touch, uh, per touch anything. And as I'm sure most people who are listening to this to this to this podcast probably know you can't really conflate receiving production. Um, it's, it's not even per, like, cause you're not even looking at targets, right? You're just looking at when they actually receive, when you actually get a reception. So you can't really uh, conflate receiving production, receiving opportunities and rushing opportunities. And it's possible depending upon the split between players. I mean, I've seen things where they'll say, you know, in the past, someone like, let's say Duke Johnson, how many, um, how many uh, yards per touch that he's getting, let's say. So he could have, I think I remember all their old comparisons to Todd Gurley, where you could say Todd Gurley actually had a higher yards per carry. He had a higher yards per reception, but a lower yards per touch just because of how the, how the workload is split together. So that's probably something that really always gets to me whenever I see that still being used out there. Although it's not as much in the fantasy football community, because as you know, I think we're a little bit smarter about numbers than even some of the quote unquote real football guys. 
Oh, totally agree. And you hit a push button topic there, a hot button topic in Duke Johnson. I mean, I mean <laughs> you picked the perfect guy. We love him here at Rotoviz. I mean, free Duke Johnson. And of course, last week, Kevin Wright, they have terrible weather. So hopefully we're going to have the explosion. I feel like the fantasy community, particularly here at Rotoviz, we've waited for Duke Johnson to have that big performance. I feel like we're due, no? Yeah, I, I would hope so. Like The thing that I, 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 try, I try to remember who did this, but someone sent out um, uh, an interesting tweet where they were saying, you know, the same people who believe running backs don't matter also now think that Duke Johnson's going to blow up now that he's <laughs> had the starting role when David Johnson really had this pristine, perfect setup as far as volume was concerned and share was concerned all of these weeks going into it. And now we're expecting the same thing to happen for uh, it's it suddenly to, to, you know, flip the switch for Duke Johnson. Now, I do think the opponents are a little bit easier here, but there may be something about Houston, whether it's whether it's the blocking, whether it's Deshaun Watson and how much he relies upon uh, the running backs and the offense just generally hasn't been as robust there as it can be going forward. But, you know, we have someone like Deshaun Watson grading a lot better than what his numbers have been. So I think there's hope to to see it turning around. I guess I'm just not, you know, I'm not quite as convinced that he's going, he, he really is going to be that guy, despite the fact that I love the talent. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, as we approach Thanksgiving, the MVP race is always a hot topic. Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins, the the play of the game of the season, just a great pass there from Murray to Hopkins. I put out a tweet today and I drew the the vitriol of Packers fans because I used our Rotoviz Player Stat Explorer and I put up the consistency, the bar graph of the way uh, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have performed. And of course, I can't put more than four in there. So I I did leave out Aaron Rodgers caused some problems. But where do you place Kyler now in the MVP race right now after that big performance? I think the gap is closing on Russ a bit. And you've done some great work at PFF on the MVP race. Is it possible that we've all taken Patrick Mahomes for granted? Yeah, I mean, I think we were. The most recent odds that just came out, I mean, I know that just came out after Russell Wilson had this had this struggling performance is now Patrick Mahomes is the favorite um, in betting markets, which if you would have thought back uh, after week eight, after week eight, um, uh, Russell Wilson was better than 50% implied probability on there. So it's really flipped quite a bit now where Russ is still in second behind Mahomes and then Rodgers. And after that, I believe it's Josh Allen next and then and then Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler has gone yep. from pretty much out of totally out of it, maybe like 28 to one, something like that uh, before this before last week to jumping all the way up into the top five. I think that the thing with Kyler is Number one, people are probably a little bit less convinced that his team's going to be able to close out and win that division. So if he doesn't win the division and let's say the Seahawks do, it's going to be really tough for him to win. The second thing is he actually hasn't been that impressive throwing the ball. He's been extremely right. impressive running the ball. He's actually has probably the most impressive, one of the most impressive and efficient seasons we've seen on an EPA per rush basis since Cam Newton back in 2011. I mean, he's yep. much, much, much more efficient than even uh, Lamar Jackson was last year. But the thing was, Lamar Jackson was really, really efficient passing the ball in in low volume. And Kyler just hasn't been that this year. So the question will be, can he keep that up? Because that rushing production that he's doing now and, and the way that he's he's producing with his legs, it really is, a, is an outlier type of season, something you only see once every five, six, seven years. So to say that will continue on for the rest of the season is going to be a little bit more difficult for him. 
Yeah, and he got those 10 right. He's at the 10 rushing touchdowns now. Uh, he's on pace for 18. All time record, of course, Cam Newton back in that 2011 season with 14. But that really is the key. And it was an amazing play, amazing throw, amazing catch. And it's a really fun MVP race right now as, as we head into Thanksgiving. I heard you on Ed Fang's football analytics show. You've gone in there a couple times. Always great, great stuff. I just get the popcorn out and listen. Talking about expected points added. Just one of the many great metrics you look at over at PFF. Can you explain what that means and why it really is a great way to sort of analyze players and teams? Yeah, I mean, I think the the main benefit of it is that it has a way of taking everything that happens on a football field, on a football field, uh, putting it together, uh, giving you a single metric that you can you can look at every play and value it, and it's done in points. So it's something that's fairly intuitive to think about uh, on a football basis. Now, to give a simple explanation of, of how it's calculated, you could say, uh, let, let's say a team has the ball on their own 25-yard line, first down and 10. You can calculate based upon that. You know, on average throughout the league, how many points, how often they will score on that drive. And from there, you can kind of just determine the average number of points you'll score on that drive. So then on the first play, let's say they gain five yards with a with a run up the middle. Well, now you have second and five from the 30-yard line. You can now recalculate from that from from that state from that from that gain state how many points there is and the differential between those two is how many points were added on that play so what it allows you to do is it says oh you threw a 20 yard pass down the sideline how does that on third and 10 how does that compare to a 15 yard play on first and 10 but closer to the end you know all these different things come together and think especially things like sacks which are difficult to value because if you just look at them in terms of negative yards that doesn't really capture the right. fact that being moved back and, it, and it's more detrimental to that and it, it ends up being able to put all these pieces together because certain things like scrambles sacks even running plays are very difficult to quantify when you're bringing that together with passing production and things like touchdowns you know is a touchdown from the one yard line or is a touchdown from the 20 yard line uh those sorts of things make a big difference on how much value is being added so i i think that's a big thing because talk about another bad stat that ends up being used in something like the mvp race is something like uh, touchdown to interception ratio right yes. so how costly are the interceptions if it's third and 15 near the end of the game and you throw an interception 30 yards downfield trying to make a play that's not that costly if it's first and 10 and you're you're about to go in the end zone you throw an interception that's extremely costly so i I think it's being able to compare all those different things together yeah it's a great point and i i feel like the fantasy community you know when fantasy football first started everybody talked about points and it was standard leagues right way back way back in the old days then it became ppr then after ppr people got into regression then people realized oh wait a minute you can have positive regression so it's always great to hear the next stats the latest things which you guys have at pff so much and here at rotavez we try to do as well you know what's the best way to analyze strength of schedule is another one right you know people talk about strength of schedule you know how do you look at it specifically so that's a great great point and it leads in, leads me into my next question which is how do you balance analytics metrics and then watching the games you know we take a quantitative approach to the data i always like to equate when you, when you look at, at fantasy football i always like to equate kevin fantasy football to poker you need to know the math. It's a finite group of cards. You need to know the chances of whether you're getting a flush or straight or whatever. But sometimes in the end, it does come down to whether you think the person across from you has it or not. And sometimes there is that part of watching the games where you see something like you just mentioned, an interception, you look at a box score, maybe it was done at the end of the game. Had a fascinating discussion with this with Sigmund Bloom earlier this year. How do you marry the two there at PFF with the numbers and watching the game and then personally for yourself in fantasy football? 
Yeah, I think it's something where we're all fans, right? So even if people, you know, on Twitter may want to dunk on the nerds and tell us to to watch the games. I mean, we are watching the games, of course. We love football. That's why that's why we're doing this. So, we're we're in it it's impossible to watch a game like a robot and not have an opinion and just see everything as, you know, dots on the on the screen. So, you you're, you're going to have that, but I think the key is being able to properly weigh your opinion, number one, um, versus what the data is telling you. And number two, if you know other smart film watchers out there, they're going to have great great opinions too that you also want to bring into your process and along with things like PFF grades, which of course are people uh, yeah. watching and, and making adjustments for things like uh, you know, dropped interceptions or drops that are that are made on the offensive side, things like that that won't necessarily show up in uh, an EPA type of metric. So I think the key is to know how to weigh all those things together. So I, I'm going to have opinions. I'm going to have opinions based upon what I'm watching on film, what I think smart people are saying based upon film. But I think the, the problem becomes where people who are really film specialists is they think their unique knowledge outweighs is the most important thing because it is their unique knowledge where in reality is it's something that should move you slightly on or off of uh, what the numbers are telling you not be the primary source of your opinion yeah the pff grades i'm glad you talked about it i mean i'm a subscriber i I love looking at it you know things like jair alexander being the the number one cornerback per pff i mean it's it's part of the lingo what goes into those grades exactly you know like you said when you formulate those grades you take a look at coverage rating things like that Uh, just take us a little bit behind the curtain there how you formulate that because it's such an important part and for a a culture where we need the data now we want it we want to process it right away it's extremely helpful to be watching the game and hear that a cornerback is number two number three per PFF. It just gives you a a mindset that you can look at it. I mean, there must be so much back-end work that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a, you know, grading rubric for ever, for all the different types of plays for the position groups that people are looking at. Uh, The foundation is every player on every play is given a, a grade on that particular play, which ranges from a negative two to a positive two. Now, most grades on most plays are zeros are, are are players kind of doing the doing their job essentially to to quote build Belichick, but not in, in an extraordinary way. And then you can move off of it depending upon whether or not it's a good play or not, or 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 whether or not they're making a poor play. Now for coverage and for receiving grades, something to keep in mind. And I think this is an important distinction, is that they are really being graded as zero unless they are targeted if they're a receiver or unless they're they're covering the targeted player. So someone like Jalen Ramsey and what he did against DK Metcalf last week where he was preventing targets from getting there in the first place, that's not something that really is is weighted in a in great detail in in our grade. So I think that's where there can be somewhat of a disconnect when it comes to coverage and when it comes to to receiving grades. But the other players like an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, that you're really getting a pass rush grade, a run blocking grade, all those different things. You are really getting a play by play basis for what's going on. And of course what's going on for for the quarterback too, where we're gonna we're gonna rate, like I said, their turnover worthy plays, even if they don't actually lead to a turnover. And that's what's gonna gonna lead up into the overall grade. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account anytime, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Dave Cabin, host of the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting RotoViz Radio. We love producing these shows and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, loyal podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one year RotoViz subscription by using the promo code 2020RVRadio at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into the show. Kevin, do defenses matter in fantasy football? Uh, of course, Josh Hermsmeyer got this started with a huge argument here. It reminds me of the you always start your studs argument, right? There's there's right. pros and cons. You can point out a great defensive team that shut down a star in a given week. And then you can also point out the star who destroyed the great defense. And somebody says, oh, always, you know, defenses don't matter. Always start your studs. Where does that factor in in your personal opinion here with fantasy football? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, defenses don't matter is, you know, kind of like the running backs don't matter thing, although I think defenses probably matter a bit more than (laughs) than running backs. Um, But I I will say what it it matters is they are, you know, they're reacting to the offense. They are normally, if you look at the stats of a defense, a good portion of it, probably around half of it, is really just the collection of offenses that they played against is the flip side of, of, of that equation. And I think we see that a lot in fantasy football, not only as far as who you're going to start against a defense, but you know what if you're streaming defenses, who you're going to start on that end. You know, yeah. quarterbacks, certain quarterbacks take more sacks than others. Certain quarterbacks turn the ball over more than others. And quite often that is a lot stickier to say Jameis Winston is going to throw interceptions than to say that a particular team is going like the Patriots last year, or I guess it was the the Jaguars before that are going to get a lot of turnovers that seems to go come and go um, fr- from season to season, much more so than, than what's stuck to that quarterback. So because of that, you can be more reliant upon it. What I would say is that it, it's an adjustment you have to make, but the primary thing is always going to be the offense and the offensive projection. You, you talked about running backs don't matter. So J.J. Zacharyson put this tweet out on Sunday. Salvin Ahmed saw 84% of Miami's running back rushes. Miles Gaskin season high and running back rush share is 81.8. So what do you make of this Miami backfield? I've got a lot of questions on this. Fantasy stretch drive for the Dolphins. They have three home games. One of the few teams that has three home games. Cincinnati, Kansas City, New England, ending with a week 16 trip to Las Vegas, which is reasonable here. So you want to talk about running backs don't matter. It seems like Miami and Brian Flores for me is coach of the year. I mean, just an amazing job. But they just keep plugging guys in. Uh, Jordan Howard, I guess, couldn't uh, couldn't even crack the lineup. 
Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I'm, I'm workshopping a new thing. Rather than running backs don't matter, I heard this thing about a, a different subject where it was where where I'm going to say running backs matter, but they don't make a difference. So they do something, but there's not really that a difference between them. And I think I don't think that Miles Gaskin is a worse producer than let's say a first round running back. Let's say it was like. Clyde Edwards Hilaire was in the same was in the same role here. Like I don't think you could say he's a worse player. Um, and that's a reason why you should be more skeptical of him going forward. But it really matters when you have draft capital. And I think this is one of the things that that comes down to it when you're thinking of drafting, when you're thinking of playing someone in a in a muddled situation, is you he was a seventh round pick, right? Um, right. He stepped in and he did well, and now someone else has stepped in and done well, who who they're you know elevating from the practice squad and, and stepping right in. So I think that means we're less certain, right, that they're going to turn things back over to Gaskin than we would be if he was the first round running back in, in the same sort of situation. So I, I for me, I think you can be speculative and say, hey, I, I'm going to try to pick him up and see what happens, but. This could go. It could. This could go e- anyway. This could go a split. This could go. They're continuing to ride the hot hand, or this could go. They're going back to Gaskin. I. I, I can't say with any, with any confidence which direction it's going to go here. And I think part of that is because you just have to recognize who Miles Gaskin is. He's a seventh round running back who there wasn't even their plan to to ride like this to start the season. I guess everybody, Kevin, refers to Chris Carson, right, who has continued to overcome that. He gets hurt, but he comes back. Now it looks like, you know, everyone is not Chris Carson, right? I mean, that, that you can't use the outlier for the norm. Yeah, yeah, and I think Pete Carroll has been pretty effusive about Chris Carson from from almost from day one, but definitely over and over again. And he has a little bit more. He, he's been there a little bit longer, a little bit more staying power. But yeah, you, you obviously you don't exactly what you're saying. You don't don't pick the outlier. People like to do this a lot too when you're arguing something, as they say, "Well, what about this one person out of you know a thousand that ended up doing it?" Well, yeah, obviously there's always going to be one, but that's not the counter to an argument where you're where you're weighing probabilities. You're not making a definitive statement. Yeah, very true. Listen, favorite groups, favorite rock bands to listen to when you're working out or jogging or just meditating? What, what do you like to listen to? Yeah, I've actually, I don't really listen to it. I've actually been trying to do some meditating recently. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, I don't know if I get the whole thing. Hopefully it'll click. It'll click eventually. But you know what? I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm doing stuff. So a lot of football related stuff. Um, my wife actually works as a, as an editor on the New York times daily podcast. So I listen to to that every single day. Um, and as far as like bands, I, I I guess I'm just like, I I just feel like I'm always trying to maximize my time all the time. So it's, it's mostly podcasts that I'm listening to nowadays. Yeah, that's the same thing for me. Every once in a while, I, I as I'm going uh, on the car, I need to zone out for a little bit. But usually it defaults, especially as you know, as the week goes on, there's always a new one that pops out, right? So you got to listen to it. Yeah. Such a great group of rookie QBs. I just want to talk about three of them here. What have you seen from each? Give me a positive and negative. Let's start with Cincinnati. Joe Burrow operating behind a poor offensive line, but he has thrived. High volume, obvious connection building with T. Higgins here. What have you seen from Burrow so far? P- Burrow so far, PFF that is impressed, and then maybe you know something's got to work on. Yeah, I mean, he was extremely high. His grade through like four or five weeks into the season, he's had some rough matchups. But I think that's a tough division because you have to play the Ravens twice. You have to play the Steelers twice. He doesn't have much of an offensive line. Uh, he's kind of piecing together the the offense with who has some weapons, but some new ones emerging, like you said, with T. Higgins. And I think you hinted at what the most 
one of the most positive things is, is the fact that they are using him at such high volume. They've basically taken him as a rookie um, from day one and just put the entire offense on his on his shoulders. I mean, he's out there having to make plays and put himself in situations where he's really going to expose himself. And I think that he's done really well when you consider how difficult it is for a rookie to step in and to do that against these defenses on the defensive side of things. So I think that's a big thing for Burrow is the fact that he, he's just taking it all in and he's operating like a third, fourth year quarterback who, just, who you decide is going to be the entire offense. Next one, Justin Herbert of the Chargers. Entering week 10, he was averaging the most fantasy points per game of any rookie in NFL history. Tough matchup there with the Dolphins. Great cornerbacks, of course. Gutted his way through it here. Herbert so far has been impressive, right? He's Yeah, he's been very impressive. I mean, the, the downside for Herbert is that he was making a lot of high end plays. Um, he also had some, some lower, some lower plays too. So if you, if you look at some of his receivers that he was throwing to, uh, like, like Mike Williams, like, the jump ball, the Mike Williams, <laughs> the like, Mike Williams but even more so some of the guys who were stretching the field, like names you never heard of, like Guyton, who was going, yep. you know, they were catching averaging like 40, 50 yards of reception because of what he was doing. Now, I think that also shows his upside is that in, in contrast to someone like Burrow, he is someone who even in a muddy pocket could really just sling the ball downfield and has amazing, amazing arm talent and athleticism at the same point in time. I think a lot of people were skeptical of quote unquote tall quarterbacks became a thing, but it's really immobile quarterbacks who are more likely to be tall. I mean, he's a very athletic guy. So I I think the question with him is whether he can keep that high end play up because that was something that was really giving him um, the performance going forward. But we tend to find that, you know, avoiding negatives is, is really something that can, that ends up being more consistent um, and more stable in production than, than continuing to hit those high notes. But hopefully he can do both. And last one, Tua Tagovailoa with Miami. They have not asked him to do a lot, but he's gaining more confidence each week. And that win in Arizona, of course, very impressive no matter what. Had a couple n- nice throws and a big run there. He got a first down. Three and zero as a starter. Just curious because two is a guy. You know, if, if they've if somebody's lost Jimmy G, Matt Stafford now has a, a fracture in his throwing hand. If you're looking for a waiver wire quarterback, I, I'm curious if we think if two is going to keep going here. If it's still, you know, let's let's be careful. It's still a rookie. Yeah, I think he will. Now you kind of mentioned that they haven't asked him to do a whole lot. And we don't know at this point how much of that is a function of what they think he can do or what they want him to be able to do and how much of that is they've had these, you know, defensive special teams plays that have really kept them in a position to to run a little bit less variance on offense. I mean, I was really high on Tua coming into the season. I I scooped him up on all some you know, two QB league best ball uh, uh, drafts and things like that. Just assuming that he was going to, he could have a good run here at the end of the season. The question will be if he can give me a, give you a little bit more of a rushing floor. Cause I think that that was something I was hoping for. And I think we've seen with quarterbacks like Ryan Fitzpatrick, you don't have to be the most um, athletic guy if you're willing to do it. And I don't think Tua is, is nearly as athletic as someone like Herbert, maybe not even as as athletic as, as Joe Burrow. Um, so the question will be whether he can really run it and sustain some of that production or whether it's something he really eschews because of the injury concerns. Kevin, what happened to Tom Brady against New Orleans there? The wind really seemed to affect him a lot more than, let's say, an Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, they've really structured the offense. He's got a zillion weapons down there. They're kind of hitting their stride. But was was that a cause for concern as we get to the colder weather here with the with the older quarterback? I don't think so. I mean, I think sometimes I'm willing to just say 
this stuff happens, right? Um, yeah. If you look at, uh, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, when he played against the Bucks himself earlier this season, True. just Good nothing, point. nothing went right. You know, sometimes nothing is going right. So I, I, I'm not that concerned about it. Although I will say, I remember after week one, when both Brady and Breeze looked a little out of sorts, I was more positive on Breeze going forward only because he had pretty high level play last season and the season before he was probably better than Brady both of those seasons and I, I don't know he might have been better than Brady so far so far this season so I think with with Brady the the thing is when when things are right and I think this is something that you saw a lot um last year too to a degree he can still play pretty well if he gets moved off of his off of his spot in the pocket that's when things can get a little squirrely so that's a concern but it has to play against a team that could really provide pressure with the front four like the saints were able to do and there aren't a whole lot of teams who can do that so i i think he has a good chance to turn things around the rest of the season and great segue into Drew Brees. Uh, you know, obviously, serious injuries that he got. I thought that was a completely legal sack that went on. I don't think there was any maliciousness in it, but it was just an unfortunate injury. He's going to be out now, it looks like, for a little bit. I, Sean Payton, very close to the vest here, whether Jameis Winston and his love here, of course, for Taysom Hill, who's going to be the quarterback. But Brees now, what do you think about the Saints offense? Michael Thomas is back, but they're playing an Atlanta team that's a rival this week. This could be a totally different offense here, depending on who he goes with. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the thing was last season when um, Teddy Bridgewater stepped in, he was more in that mold of of Drew Brees. He's been a guy who doesn't really stretch the field, was just executing the offense. He played at a much lower level than Drew Brees, despite the fact that they won all those games. Uh, but he wasn't bad. He was pretty good because of the structure that they have around her. So I think something could be similar for Jameis. I mean, I'm a little bit more skeptical of Jameis. It's kind of been this weird transition I've seen uh, among certain quarters on the on the dark webs here about people really loving Jameis Winston and wanting him to, to go forward. I'm always, for, for him, for me, it's always going to be if he can put everything back together and we'll just have to see if, if that happens here. I mean, I just don't expect him to necessarily produce at a higher level than what Breeze was doing. And I think the Saints, if they can, are still going to want to have a pretty healthy running game going forward. And that defense is is good, despite the fact that they were getting killed, in, especially on a lot of defensive pass interference calls earlier this year. So I, if they can continue to play the game and win with defense, win with the running game, and then have Jameis sprinkle some stuff on top of it without a lot of turnovers, that's probably the ideal formula for them. Yeah, Jameis Winston, like Humpty Dumpty. He's got to put it all together again. If he can do that, he, he could have a, a pretty good run here. I wanted to look at some of the Super Bowl contenders, get your thoughts here. You know, as, as they're heading into the playoffs, what do you think is going to happen, whether you're buying, selling, or, or hold with them? Tampa Bay. Now, the offenses look great. Defenses look strong also. No Vita Vea. I feel like their run defense is, is a little bit vulnerable. Uh, but I have to tell you, what I've been impressed with is Ronald Jones can keep Miss dropping balls or fumbling, Kevin, and they're staying with them. I'm very happy about that as a Ronald Jones truther, but Tampa <laughs> Bay here for the Super Bowl. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. We have this new uh, playoff format where you only have the one team with the bye. So it's really going to be uh, the Packers, the Saints, some team from the NFC West, and and the the Bucks that are going to be competing for that spot. I'm just not sure they can get there. I know that they don't have the most difficult schedule going forward, but I think Green Bay probably has the inside inside track on being able to get there. So for that reason, I would lean 
Green Bay over Tampa, but I, I think Tampa definitely gives you, they definitely have a chance to win no matter what with that offense and defense. Having both of those elements being able to work on any given week is pretty powerful. The next one is Green Bay. And listen, they did not get a receiver. It was well talked about in the draft. I guess they knew that Marcus Valdez Scanling would actually start catching passes. I guess that was the issue. Alan Lazard comes back. Devontae Adams has been fantastic. I have a hard time, Kevin, getting around a team that can't stop the run. You know, even Atlanta's defense, which is horrific, they can stop the run. I just feel like you have to do that late in the winter. Packers here, Super Bowl. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I'm a little bit higher on it than, than than what you are. I mean, I understand the concerns. I think we've seen it. We saw, um, you know, Mostert running for 15 yards a carry or whatever it was last year yes. in the playoffs. So it's it's clearly a concern, but I just think that Aaron Rodgers is playing at, at, at a high level, a high enough level where they it could make up for some deficiencies on the defensive side. But you have seen them struggle. It's kind of weird. Aaron Rodgers is having this great season, but you've also seen some games that were a little bit closer than what you would have what you would have liked. I mean, I think for for Rodgers, you know, a lot of people were like, was he was he a lead or was he not? Is he still a lead? And he's he's come through and he's kind of proven enough. I think you can put him back into that category. But I'm still not seeing him on someone like a Patrick Mahomes level where it doesn't really matter who the defense who he has on the defensive side of the ball. Very true. And last team here, Pittsburgh. You know, Roethlisberger's done a nice job sort of reinventing himself here. Doesn't take as many deep shots. He connected with Deontay Johnson down the sideline against the Bengals on Sunday. But the defense is certainly elite, especially the run defense. Have have had some injuries, but they've worked through it. Claypool's been phenomenal. What do you think here about the Steelers' last undefeated team in the NFL? I mean, I'm probably lower on the Steelers than consensus, if only because wins drive so much of the feeling there. Um, but again, if they can get that number one seed, and I think Kansas City has a very difficult schedule down the stretch, so they they don't have an inside track. Well, they kind of have an inside track because of their record. Um, so I, I think that's what's going to be key. I mean, I was looking at a lot of what Pittsburgh has been able to do offensively this year, and they haven't been that impressive in your normal situations. What Roethlisberger has been really good at is converting on third downs. They're converting at the second highest level over expectation other than uh, Patrick Mahomes has been doing with with the Chiefs. So if he can maintain that, which is normally not the stickiest category, although he has been someone over his career has been able to to convert third downs at a high level, I think that's going to end up being key because it's about sustaining drives with them. Because, like you said, they're not they're not making the deep shots. They're not getting quick, easy touchdowns. They're really grinding the ball down the field. Yeah, you talked about their schedule here. They still have they have to go to the Raiders now this week at Tampa Bay, Denver, at Miami, at New Orleans. Breeze will probably be back, Atlanta and the Chargers. So yeah, certainly a difficult schedule. Most popular question here in the mailbag, Kevin. Thank a teacher time with everything going on with COVID and the teachers battling all the things out there. I want to get some positive mojo going. Give a shout out here to somebody in your primary years, K-12, that had a real positive influence on you now as an adult. You look back and say, you know, they really, really were a positive th- light for me as I was learning and, and growing as a person. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is I was never... I was not like the most dedicated student. I guess for me, it, it, it really have to... I'm really someone who doesn't, you know, achieve for the sake of achievement. It's really about being interested in something. And I remember when I took, um, when I find even, even math, which I had done well at, it wasn't really until I was taking calculus and, um, and my teacher there, Mr. Cheryl, he was someone who really got me kind of interested in it for the first time. So it was one of those things where it was, you know, doing well there, doing well on the advanced placement test and really carrying that success into college was a was a big thing for me. So it was really getting me in, in, involved and engaged in it, which uh, up until that point had been difficult. 
Yeah, very fair. Those are the teachers, the one that, that get you interested. It's it's not for the grade. It's for the interest and the motivation. That's what we're trying to teach our kids. I get a lot of vitriol from fantasy players with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, although to be fair, I sent you the show sheet before last night, so maybe they calmed down a little. Right, Frust- right. Frustrated comes with the concentrated target share, You know, not with the concentrated target share, but the lack of passing volume. I see a difficult schedule for Dalvin Cook. One of the questions that came up recently was, would you trade Dalvin Cook for Derrick Henry because of Cook's schedule down the stretch? What do you see here with the Vikings? I I think that Kirk Cousins, especially against Dallas this week, Jefferson Thielen, I I think they could be, you know, fantasy difference makers here for a championship. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's one of those things where you're just going to have to know that at least one out of every four weeks, things are going to align so that Zimmer can do what he wants to do, which is play 1950 style football and just run the ball and not have to, to worry about passing it. Um, but it, yeah, like you said, if you look at their schedule, they have some difficult running, uh, uh matchups they're going to have to play against. They have some teams, especially, uh, the bucks and the saints who are going to be able to score points. I don't think they're going to be able to just hold them down and, and not have to worry about that. I mean, even the Panthers have been pretty good at, at scoring points this year. So I, I, I like I like those wide receivers. I think I'll take that concentration in targets every day of the week, even when it's in a lower volume passing attack, because love them or hate them. Well, actually, no one really loves them, but uh, uh, like them or, <laughs> or hate them. Kirk Cousins has been an efficient producer of, of, of fantasy points when he throws the ball. You just need to get those opportunities. Time for redraft lightning round. Give me the better play coming up here in week 11 in your mind. Same game here. Two guys, Jalen Rager in Philadelphia, healthy, and Wentz and the Eagles have a nice schedule coming up. They can really get them going, although I feel like I've said that every week on this podcast. <laughs> and, and Jarvis Landry, who with Odell Beckham out, has not had a chance to have a decent weather game where he can have one of those breakout sort of eight, nine reception games there. So who do you like this Sunday here in Cleveland? Yeah, I'm going to go with Landry again. I'm just going to take the the volume. I'm going to take the volume that you know you're going to get. He had, I don't think it was around a 30% target share last week. If you go back to before the buy, it was 40% target share. Now, I know the production hasn't been there. But again, this Browns offense, the passing offense in particular, just had a difficult schedule. Not only do they have you know the Ravens and the Steelers that they have to play, and and they had a pretty good game against someone like the Colts, who could be another difficult defense, but they've had these weather effects these weeks that have been really, really tough. So I think we haven't, we haven't gotten an opportunity to see what Landry could potentially do with that target share. And even though I know he's not the most efficient guy, and Rager could be a guy who goes over the top for uh, you know a fifty yard touchdown bomb. That that's always fine and great. But I'm just going to take the guaranteed target share here. And as the matchups are getting better for for the Browns, and this Eagles matchup has definitely been better than what we've seen earlier this season for the Browns. I was burning last week when J.D. McKissick was catching every pass in sight, but Antonio Gibson did recover. So I'm curious, better flex play, Gibson against Cincinnati or T. Higgins, same game against a really tough pass defense in Washington? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with Gibson just because I like, like you said, McKissick was was – too involved uh, a couple a couple of times um and he's been you know he's been owning everyone all, all fantasy football players players this year but I, I still think that i like that washington offense has been able to move the ball a little bit better you have obviously more touchdown potential there with gibson and i just think that he has enough of a role there where i'm going to lean on him versus versus what could be really tough for 
for Burrow this week, especially if with that pass rush, the combination of the pass rush and the pass defense for for the Redskins. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Gibson. DJ Chark here at home, uh, you know, really has come on. There was bad weather in Green Bay, but he was targeted. He's going against Pittsburgh. Do you like him as a better PPR wide receiver or AJ Brown, who was shut down, but now he gets Baltimore on the road is going to be pretty angry here. Who do you like better this week? DJ Chark against Pittsburgh, AJ Brown against Baltimore. I mean, I'm going to lean A.J. Brown. I think he's the better player. I think he's got, obviously, the better quarterback. And against the Ravens, I know that can be a very tough matchup, but they take a lot of chances, and I think that can align with potentially getting some some deep shots to A.J. Brown, and hopefully he'll catch these uh, this time when he has that opportunity. And plus, I still have him on too many many redraft fantasy teams. And uh, I just, I need him to produce. Last week was rough because I have him and DK Metcalf on the same team. So it was really, it was painful to watch those two matchups after having some smash uh, weeks a few weeks in a row before that. And last one here, better running back smash spot. I have DeAndre Swift, of course, Stafford a little banged up at Carolina. Looks like he's taking over. Or Melvin Gordon, who still gets the goal line work and is still a dominant force in that backfield. He's at home against Miami, who at some point here, Kevin, I think has to regress a little bit. Gordon or Swift this week? I'm going to go with Swift, uh, especially because of the the receiving work that he's been getting. And I think it's one of those things. It's kind of the draft capital argument that I was making before in the reverse, where we're talking about Miles Gaskin. Now, Swift is was the second running back, I believe, taken. I believe he was taken before Jonathan Taylor in this last draft. So he's, there's a lot of draft capital put in him. So when someone steps forward and becomes the the lead back and moves into that role, if that if that running back is also someone that has that draft capital behind behind him i'm going to be a, a bit more confident to make sure this is going to continue and, and we have more than one week of this at this point um and of course the panthers defense we saw what uh, the bucks did to them last week and what patrick mahomes did to him the week before it's a defense that can give up a lot of points uh probably plays a little bit better against the run than against the pass so we'll see if swift can can get, get some passes out of the backfield but he, he's the guy i'm just going to be more confident in here uh, versus the drew lock led offense for melvin gordon I find that that when I have the guests on, you know, we're all into analyzing analytics, fantasy football. So we like movies with a twist or a suspenseful ending. Is there one that you like here that you enjoy? Um, you know, you, you you put a couple examples on here, and I thought those I thought those a good one in Memento and Seven. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll go with another. Um, what's his name? David Fisher. Fincher, I guess. A uh, movie where. Um, Fight Club, where that was oh, one yeah. of that's that's one that I've watched quite a few times. So of course, there's a little bit of a reveal in that one. Uh, yes. I don't know if you can spoiler alert something that's been out for for 15 <laughs> years. But, um, and plus, Edward Norton is one of these guys. Like I have like a pantheon of of actors who I think are just so good, and he's he's one of those. Guys. I mean, Brad Pitt's good in the movie too, of course. But I feel like he really just becomes the character sometimes. So I felt like that was like a tour de force sort of performance for Edward Norton in that movie. Yeah, loved Edward Norton in Italian Job also. So that was kind of underrated. Yeah. And he's fantastic. Listen, you've lived in a couple different areas, California, New York, uh, as well. I'm, I'm curious. Compare East West Coast there. What, what are you? What are the comparisons or differences there between the two that you noticed? Yeah, I mean, there are some some big contrasts. I mean, obviously, having grown up in California, I never appreciated the weather. Then when I'm sitting in uh, in the East Coast now, and I'm watching. Uh, you know, the Rose Bowl and people are wearing T-shirts yes. in January and, I, and it doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't actually compute in my head. So yeah. I think there's a nostalgia effect of always thinking about the weather and those sorts of things when it came to California. But in New York City, 
um, is where I, I moved later in life. And, you know, I found my, my met my wife and everything else there. And I feel like there's nothing to replicate New York and just being kind of the capital of the world at this point, but definitely the, the, the main city in the, in the U S and it's just, there's just so many people there all doing interesting things. Um, so I think that's more than anything, just the, just the people you can meet in New York city puts it over the top, even over the weather in California. Oh, this has been amazing, Kevin. Last question, then I'll get you out of here. A big game coming up this week. There's been some little bit of trash talk, if you will, uh, between Andy Reid and John Gruden. Uh, when the Raiders went out to Kansas City and won, I guess the bus driver drove around the, the arrowhead or something like that. So a little bit of a, a rivalry going on here, of course. Curious, we have Kansas City favored by seven now at the Raiders. Do you think the Chiefs get some revenge here? you think this is going to be another close game or the Raiders have their number? Yeah, I wish. I mean, this is a good number. Like seven yeah. seven points covers a lot there. Um, I mean, I am going to lean, if I had to lean in direction, I would still say the Chiefs, if only because I think – on defense, they can do a little bit better this time. If you watch the when, when they when they lost the first time, it was a couple of really big plays, and they're a defense that takes chances. So if they if they can bottle up and not and not have the you know the Henry Ruggs fifty yard touchdowns this time around, I think things things can be different. And I also think Patrick Mahomes, believe it or not, is starting to kind of even go to a different level these last few weeks because teams were able to frustrate him a little bit by playing the zone defense by keeping everything in front of him. And now the the way the offense is working now, I think they figured out some wrinkles to free up guys like Tyreek Hill. If you saw how much he was struggling earlier this season, and now I think he might be, you know, up near the top in fantasy scores on, on the entire year. So uh, I, I think the offense has also really figured itself out these last few weeks and has a counter to anything that, that the defense can do against them. So that I, I, I expect, you know, shock, a big shocking thing here, which is Patrick Mahomes to have another huge, huge game. Yeah, I don't think they're going to get them twice. I agree with you, <laughs> folks. Kevin Cole, amazing stuff. You have to check out his work on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. PFF work is fantastic. All the great stuff they have on the site, of course. Uh, one of the best in the business. Kevin, thanks so much for a few minutes here, man. Great stuff as always. Diving in and help us figure things out as we head into the uh, the fantasy football stretch drive. Thanks so much, man. All right, this was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. 'The wait is finally over folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From the game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Go and head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.